0: This is First Draft, a dialogue on writing. I'm Mitzi Rapkin. First Draft highlights the voices of writers as they discuss their work, their craft, and the literary arts. I want to take a moment to say I hope you are safe and healthy. Thank you for tuning in to this hour of togetherness where we discuss what unites rather than divides us. Coming up, an interview with Bill Clegg, author of the novel The End of the Day.
1: I haven't written a lot of dialogue and so when I come across it in my work like or you know in my reading for pleasure it's like a superpower
0: we'll be back with bill clegg in just a bit first i want to say to you thank you for listening for the last seven plus years i've been producing at least 40 episodes a year of first draft although in the past year it's been almost 50 Producing these interviews is indeed a labor of love, but there is also labor involved, time and effort, and a lot of planning and schedule wrangling across time zones, from Colorado to New York to London to Tel Aviv to Harare and back again. The time for art is now. And I'm here to tell you that I emphatically believe this. And if you value this program, please consider becoming a contributing member by donating at patreon.com slash first That's patreo dot com slash first draft writers. You can give any amount, but for just $6 a month, you will receive extras from the show, including ad-free, pitch-free episodes and cuts that didn't make it into the final episode, writing tips, and more. I assure you, even $6 a month makes a huge difference to me and the production of this show. Each Patreon member keeps the show going, and it's here because of others like you who transformed from listener to supporter. It's such an amazing and simple way to continue discussions like the one you're about to hear, So whether this is your first listening experience or you have caught the more than 300 produced episodes, I am asking you with humbleness and appreciation if you would consider supporting First Draft as a donating member. You can learn more and donate at patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. Your support helps keep conversations like the one you are about to hear alive and on the airwaves. It's important for me to produce interviews like these with diverse writers and sometimes on difficult topics that I truly believe contribute something meaningful to our societal conversations about what it means to be alive today. This effort takes money, time, equipment, more organization than I'd like to admit to having, and a lot of heart and sweat to come to fruition each week. I know there is so much free content out there. In fact, what you're about to listen to is free but it's not without expense to make. Please beat the odds of having to listen to this seven times before you join the First Draft community. Go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. You can donate any amount, and you know it will continue these conversations. Stay tuned at the end of the show. I'll offer recommendations on an episode in the archive that is similar to the one you're about to hear. And please rate the show on iTunes and tell your friends to subscribe. Thank you so much. My guest today is Bill Clegg, author of two memoirs and two novels, including Did You Ever Have a Family?, which was a New York Times bestseller and long-listed for the National Book Award, the Man Booker Prize, and several other awards. His new novel is called The End of the Day and tells the story from alternating points of view of a childhood friendship gone cold and the various characters surrounding those at the epicenter of the friendship. The End of the Day takes place in the fictional Wells, Connecticut, and explores issues of class and race, the corrosive force of secrets, the boundaries of longing, and how family can both free and chain people. Bill Clegg is also a literary agent. We began our discussion with Clegg explaining why he structured The End of the Day in small chapters told from alternating points of view, the same structure he employed in his first novel.
1: I think you know part of the reason why the structure m- mirrors the structure in um, "Did You Ever Have a Family" is that the writing of this book began um, without me really knowing it. When while I was still writing "Did You Ever Have a Family," um, I had uh, you, you may remember there's a minor character toward the beginning of the book who is the caterer, and um, he um, ends up in his and he sort of establishes some of the the grounding information of the of the book and the place and he ends up in his mother's driveway and um and his mother comes out and consoles him at you know the loss of his friend and um she appears for a moment and uh and while i was writing that you know um something about this minor character's mother fascinated me and um i just started you know, kind of writing uh, in and around her character, thinking that perhaps she was a thread in the larger scheme of the book, but um, she she turned out not to be. And pretty early on, it was clear that she wouldn't be. And, um, but yet I kept on going back to her and this childhood friendship of hers. And so, um, so I, I think, Uh, And I didn't really know sort of what that would be or if anything, but I just, um, when I would hit a wall in the writing of of the end of the day, I would just jump into um, writing that, um, and which is just in general kind of one of my tricks of writing is just when I hit a wall, I just, um, I'll, I'll stay in it for as long as I can, but oftentimes I find leaving and writing something else um and then returning i I, usually the problem uh, i see it differently and is is more solvable and um but so she was the sort of uh the character who i would go to um when i would hit a wall and so her story just kept on you know blooming and then eventually i finished the end of the day and um and 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 didn't want to stop writing her so by that point um, Dana, her childhood friend, had existed, and I had written from her perspective. And so yet again, that 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 method of um, sort of writing in a close third uh, you know, from different perspectives, just kind of it 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 happened again. And i w- it had already begun, and I just sort of showed up to it at that point.
0: So I'm curious, you mentioned your client list because you also work as an agent. And I'm wondering if you learn anything about writing from your clients.
1: I think mainly that it's possible in the sense that, you know, I, um, not with all of them, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm pretty close to the process um, with a fair number of them. And so I'm aware when they hit walls and 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 um kind of seemingly insurmountable um difficulties uh in 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 writing their books and um writer's block and all sorts of other um interventions to progress and and i've seen them push through it often to great results you know just oftentimes i've just seen how um a problem uh, or a corner that one has painted oneself into um, has the, the kind of the, the the solution to that predicament. Oftentimes, leads to some of the best writing or a reconception of the book itself. And so, just watching them over, you know, this now. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, more than a quarter century, and um, I've just seen them get through it. And so. When you're in it yourself, it doesn't feel like you can get through it. It feels often like the years that have preceded, sometimes or the months or however long, um, have been a total waste, and um, and that um, you're kind of fooling yourself that the thing that you're working on uh, should exist. And so that those doubts plague the you know the writers who I work with, you know, um, many of whom I would you know consider some of the best writers writing right now. Um, uh like it, there's a consolation there there's a comfort and um that that even the best writers um you know suffer uh, from doubt and um and so watching them push through that to to great result has kind of when i've arrived at those places maybe not the first thought or, <laughs> or the second or third but but in the main on some unconscious level i think it i i i realize that even though it feels like the end of something it's
0: often not. I'm wondering also about the influence of of poetry on your writing. I know we talked about when we talked about did you ever have a family you have an epigraph from the poet Alan Shapiro from his poem Song and Dance and it has a line in there did you ever have a family and I remember talking about that and and that is the same here you have another poem um, I'm wondering if you could read the poem and then tell me a little bit more about my question.
1: I don't have the whole poem. I just have the um, the, the passage that's at the front of uh, the end of the day. I can read that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fine.
1: Thanks. It's five lines from a longer poem uh, called Fulfillment by W.S. Merwin. But what could we do to prevent a day from ending or a winter from finding us? How could we stop a wind with no home? Yeah, Merwin, man, he always... Uh, <laughs> he, I have so tears Mer- in my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Merwin has been a, a, a well that I've gone back to um, and stolen from a lot. Um, just in in day-to-day speech, <laughs> like, you know, all the, the writers, many of the writers who I work with um, have heard me uh, quote, Merwin endlessly, but especially this one uh, passage. Um, and he talks about uh, making a knife out of a cloud. Um, and, and the line is like, any day now, I'll make a knife out of a cloud. And um, and or I'll, any day now, I'll make a knife, a knife out of this cloud. And what he means by that, I think, um, is you know he the cloud is an inspiration is an idea unfolding is a possibility for a poem probably um, for him and um and that any day he'll apply the rigor and 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 purpose it into something more specific and and deliberate um as grippable and 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 um And specific as a knife and so but I I love the any day now because I think anybody who's had probably like even people who just you know want to mow the lawn um, and are avoiding it they're they're, there you know there's but but I know just in terms of people who have ideas and taking an idea and turning it into a novel or a short story or a poem or a play or a song it, it it's that's where the work comes in, and it's you know it's like inspiration is met with carpentry, and then you have like the finished thing. And so um making a knife out of a cloud is impossible. like you know, and so um, and on some level, like art is has a sort of impossibility to it because whatever the thing is that's that is intended to be made is um doesn't exist yet. it's it's never existed. And um, but I love that that imagery and I identify with it, um, and um, acknowledging that there's this thing that's sort of building towards something specific, but that at some point it's going to re- require work. And um, and so I, I I quote him all the time uh, um, when writers are talking to me about the big novel they want to write, but haven't gotten around to it.
0: And was this, Segment of poem, something you had in your mind after you started writing that offered you some thoughts about the title, or was it the other way around?
1: Um, I had the title I I, I knew for a, a long time, and I um, I'm I'm not sure if it came from this passage, um, except when I stumbled across the passage in the middle of writing it, it was uh uh it 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 helped me think about the book in a way Um, and so the end of the day was was kind of always there as the title and um, uh, or it was it was early and um, and then and then I I read poetry more than I do fiction for pleasure just because of the economy of time and um, and it also uh, I don't have any relationship to it I don't have to worry about returning the phone. Call. I mean, I do represent poets, and I do read them for pleasure too. But, but, but in the main, I, I represent fiction and, and memoir. And, um, but, um, and I and I, I go back to a lot of the same poets again and again. And um, Merwin, probably most of all, and um, at least in my adult life. And so. Um, and so when I I was reading this poem and and came across this passage a few years ago, uh, I I was just like, oh, okay, there we are, and um, and then it just sort of existed as the the front piece to the book.
0: So let's talk about about the characters, and I think in in your book, character and plot are sort of simultaneous, and I want to talk about that. But first, let's talk about who they are. So this cast of characters are all linked in some way. And you were talking earlier about this this mother of a character from your other novel that came to you. I'm assuming that's Jackie.
1: It's Jackie, yes.
0: Right. So Jackie and Dana grew up in Wells. And Dana was uber wealthy and lived in this almost like chateau-like house that had a name, um, Edgeweather. And... <laughs> she went from the city to Connecticut often and Jackie lived in the town. And so they were best friends, but you always felt that Dana was more invested than Jackie and Jackie had other um, desires. I mean, she lived in the town full time. She was more interested in boys. And so there was kind of um, that rift that happened after they reached adolescence. So there's those two people. And then there's, Alice, who is the mother of a character named Hap, and Alice is sort of related to these people through an aunt of Dana, and that's Mm -hmm. kind of how they're connected. Mm -hmm. And um, we also have Lupita, whose father worked for Dana. So Dana's kind of the epicenter of every sort of constellation around her.
1: You know, like, on the... surface of these characters lives like if you you just sort of saw a snapshot of them um, you know a, a taxi cab driver and um, in Kauai in her late 60s and um, uh, you know a, a, a kind of um, somebody the same age but a, a widow who lives alone in a modest house in a small town in Connecticut um, and um, you know, uh, a, a former journalist uh, who's sitting by the bedside side of his dying father. Um, they might not seem like they would have much in common, but uh, but I just find in life that, like, the more you lo- listen to somebody's story, uh, the the more worlds they've occupied and um, been exposed to. And and the, and they've just they've navigated um, stretches of the road that, that wouldn't have occurred to you. And so I kind of, you know, and, and, and so much of of the the two books that I've written have to do with um, sort of how communities happen. And, and in particular, like a small town is such a useful, it's, it's my experience. I grew up in a very small town and, um, and I grew up in a very small town that, that has, you know, kind of you know very poor people, working class people, extremely wealthy people who lived there part-time, um, mm-hmm. and all in, you know uh, and and there there weren't that many people at all. So it's kind of like everybody was sort of visible on some level to each other when you have so few people in a town. And um, there was an awareness of 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 most people, you know even the wealthiest people in the town that I grew up in, we're aware of um, you know, the kind of the raucous working class uh, families that, um, that made up the volunteer fire department because those people very likely would have had to visit like one of their houses to put out a fire or respond to a fire alarm or something along the way. And so I think in writing the book, having these characters' lives be so important to each other in ways that might not be visible to like the outside eye. That's also my experience of growing up in a small town, um, is that there there was a lot more um, sort of interaction and, um, and involvement and that people were important to each other and people were important to each other in ways that like they might not even have known just in terms of shaping sort of energies. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, I think the the stuff of, of, of the novel and the novel that came before is, um, is kind of uh, unspooling these lives that that um, that that don't necessarily look like they they would have much to do with each other, but in some ways maybe like were sort of the most important um, other people to each other. So that's a, a long rambling answer, but that's that's kind of a, a bit of what's behind that uh, kind of that method in the book.
0: You know, you mentioned this is like the town you grew up in or modeled after that. And I'm curious if there was a character that took more to write because you have the wealthy lady and the town woman and you have Lupita who um, immigrated from Mexico and um, you have the, the young man and the older woman who decided to adopt him can you tell me a little bit more about maybe what was most challenging and why?
1: I think, I mean, each character had their own challenges. Um, Lupita was, you know, I think a character who even as she began to exist for me as a character, I, um, I almost immediately began to interrogate my, my right to describe her, her story. Um, And she's a, um, you know, you meet her in the book in her late sixties, and she owns a a, um, a taxi company in Kauai. But her origin story in the book is that her father had come into the United States to Florida from Mexico to uh, work in the citrus groves, and then later in the um, on the um, building of the highways in Florida, and. And then several years later, uh, his wife and um, and two daughters followed behind and came into the country illegally. And when the the girls were very young, Lupita was incredibly young, um, and only has sort of impressions of that that journey. And and you know that is not my experience. And um, and so I I. I um, I, I struggled with with whether to tell her story, uh, to be to be blunt about it and and kind of wrote away from it for a long time. but she she, she just insisted as a character. i I kept on coming back to her. and um, and so you know i I kind of told myself what I tell the writer's way I work with and friends who write when when they're met with this choice, which is to write outside one's experience um particularly of a less privileged um, uh, person um, for, you know coming from a community that's been that's been oppressed or less privileged and um, and so I um, and what I say is you know if if you if you feel like that it's necessary to what you're doing, then do it like don't legislate like what you're creating in that way um, but, But be responsible to it and um, and, you know, find people who've had that experience, if it's possible um, uh, to um, to read what you're writing. Talk to them about their experience and um, and 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 be as responsible and rigorous with with that story as you can. And so and not to. um, Contribute to negative stereotypes. Not to you know misrepresent um, in in ways um, that could be harmful to other people who are living that experience right now, and so uh, so that's that was that was what went on in the early years of writing this book with around her, and so I I read a lot about uh, immigration in the nineteen fifties and sixties from Mexico into the United States, and um, and and the work programs in Florida, and um, the living conditions of men who were part of them and women, and and then um, I read a lot of oral histories. And then when the book was, you know, in a late stage draft, I shared it with um, a number of of women who came into the country um, in the way that Lupita did, Um, and and then just listened, you know. and so, and, and that informed um, later drafts of, 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 of the book and, and it was a real education and, um, and so she, her character, her personality, her experience of growing up in a small town um, with a sense of otherness, like um, as the only, you know, person who um, came from Mexico uh, in her elementary school. Uh, that is not my experience. I did grow up in a small town with a feeling of otherness for other reasons, which had to do with my sexuality. But um, so I had, uh, you know, uh, the beginning of a common ground with Lupita. I think it's why I um, identified with her the most of the characters in the book, and um, and she was just incredibly important to the story. So um, so I, 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 I took as, as much care as I could in creating her, and um, and and I hope that I did. I hope, and if I didn't, I expect I'll hear and um, and learn from that. But um, you know, it's 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 delicate work to to represent uh, somebody who you know has had an experience that is not your own in fiction and in film and in all sorts of other artistic mediums. Um, and so, but I I'm of the school that. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think, uh, that people should, um, should not do that, should not try. Um, but I do think that incredible rigor needs to be applied and that that is a good thing.
0: You know, at the heart you were, you were mentioning how you sort of began with the place where you felt other, that there are these universal emotions that we, that we feel. And Lupita her character was, she was, she was left out of so much, but she had a moment where there's a character in there named Floyd. And he, he ends up being Jackie's husband, but he saw Lupita and was instantly in love. And she was kind of living this life where maybe she had accepted her place in society. I mean, she always wanted to be friends with these people, but she, by the time she was a teenager it was so clear that there was no pathway and then he wanted her and you have a line in there that says his desire was contagious where his ended her own began but she couldn't quite locate and I thought a lot about this line both in terms of just desire and characters and how everyone there in, in your book wants something, which is kind of primary to fiction. But I also thought about how sometimes you don't know the boundaries of your own desire because you're so influenced by just the energetic feelings of those around you.
1: Yeah. And she's somebody who, you know, as you say, is left out of a lot and particularly by the two other characters in the book, Jackie and Dana, um, who she grew up down the street from, and um, and you know, so I th- I think for a long time she didn't feel seen, uh, she didn't feel wanted, or you know, and in, in fact felt the opposite of that. She was bullied um, on on the school bus and and in school by other girls, and so you know later when you know this this you know young guy you know, sort of turns his gaze upon her and, 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 and holds it. <laughs> and, and, and clearly is attracted to her. Just that experience of being wanted and being admired and being seen is, is so anomalous for her. Um, and the stimulation of that, along with, you know, being of an age where hormones are kicking in and, um and being curious about um you know either in her case um you know the opposite sex and in other people's cases it's the same sex and um and she uh you know so just being i have a friend, i have a friend who says sometimes you know he's like he, he's he's never been attracted to somebody who wasn't attracted to him first and um and and which i think is really funny because it's it's um it's almost like that part that somebody being attracted to him is what turns him on about that person which is you know maybe a narcissist dilemma but um but in Lupita's case i think you know Floyd being attracted to her it was really kind of you know, the, the beginning of her even feeling that from another person. And so that's kind of what I was getting at when I was describing sort of her not knowing, you know, where her desire and his, um, began and ended. Um, and, and so, but at a certain point it didn't matter because then it, it existed and it was mutual and, um, and a problem because it was sort of impossible given the, um, fault lines of the town.
0: So when I was reading it, I was thinking about this question of character revealing plot versus plot revealing character. And I don't know if that makes sense to you, but that's what how I was thinking about it, because it's a very character driven novel. But within the characters, as you learn more about them, you kind of learn about the plot. And I'm wondering if that makes sense to you or if you have any comments about
1: that. Yeah, I think. I'm just, I'm such a curious person, like, and, um, you know, if I see somebody, um, I remember there was, there was, like, somebody in medical scrubs um, pumping gas the other day, and, um, and they um, were young, and they had an incredibly nice car, and looked like they had just come from a hospital, and had a scar on his neck, and I was just like, okay what's that (laughs) and the mind sort of my mind spins a thousand possibilities and so and if that person was even older i think this person was in their 30s early 30s and um if that person was older i think i'd even be more interested you know i have had friends who are older than i am um even from 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 the time i came to new york even before i came to new york i have always been um drawn to to older people older women um especially and and i just i find like you know um probably why this book exists because jackie who's in her late 60s who is seemingly this um you know working class widow living in a small town who, you know, looks like she may have not had, um, you know, a very adventurous life. I, I, I just can't help but be curious. And the people who I've known who are older, like knowing their stories and reconciling often, like how they are right now, navigating the world versus some of the narratives that they unspool over dinner about their 30s and 40s or even earlier. Um, sometimes it's hard for me to like actually reconcile those two things that this this now like often very alone life um, was once so peopled and um, and so, you know, the, the the center of this book are three women in their late 60s um, of various economic means and background and circumstance and um, and just the very fact that they all were incredibly important to each other and and their interactions when young determined their lives later um, to me was you know kind of exciting to explore and um, but it also is true to life i think and in the sense that when you hear people tell the stories of the, of the events of their lives and not off not just the big you know sort of ticket events of rupture and um calamity or triumph but but um but the day-to-day stuff and um and the impressions they had of things um, you know um when they were younger to me that is telling the story that is the narrative that is the plot like and um but and but that plot that those events big and small leading up to the telling of it is is the um, Genesis and evolution of a character. So, character and plot to me are like inextricable. Um, but it's that unspooling of of what came before, um, and that that no matter how plain the story to me is always surprising and 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 interesting. So, um, so even if like Jackie might have told her story over a coffee, and it might not register as all that exciting but like when you really get inside the stuff of her childhood friendship and her marriage and all the that was charged around those things um in her youth it's like to me anyway this great epic tale (laughs) you know and um incredibly dramatic and and um and that for her like those those moments um you know are are huge, and so in, this, in in telling the story and making them huge for a reader is you know sort of what I find exciting.
0: Embedded in the story is kind of the revelation of secrets. It's both an interplay, I think, between the reader and the character, like what the reader knows and what the character knows, and then the unfolding of of the characters learning certain things that they've been wondering about in their lives. And your book at its heart has a secret that only one character and the reader know. And I'm curious about that interplay between the reader and secrets and, and some of your thoughts about that.
1: Uh, yeah. Secrets have a, a real shaping energy in the life <laughs> and, and they can be incredibly isolating. That was my experience having, Um, grown up in a small town and beginning to have a sense of my sexuality and and being closeted and anybody who's had that experience of being closeted knows exactly what I mean by that. Um, And so I think think because of that experience for me, like uh, understanding that for a long time, you know, I was the only person who knew certain things uh, about me and uh, and, the, and pondering the revelation of those things and what the impact and consequences would be um, was something I grappled with a lot. And, and so, so I think, you know, maybe from that experience like, comes my interest in, in seeing how um, things that are not known and, and may never be known um, in, um, in the case of, you know, the secrets that sit at the center of this book. Um, just to see how how that shapes um, people's lives, their decisions, their their perceptions of people. It um, may even place them someplace completely unexpected on a map. Um, and so, um, so that was that was exciting. And then, um, and in, in terms of things not being known. I, you know, I think at the end of it, like I'm such a curious person, um, borderline nosy, and there's sort of no detail too small for me. Um, the, but I think underneath that is this understanding that that there's no full truth. There's nothing that will be completely known. There's always the, there's always some secret self, um, and. And and I'm not saying that you know everybody's carrying around some like dire, uh, sh- shameful secret. It's just that there's just I think just a, a a consciousness that is that is private that can't can't fully be known. Um, and so so the book kind of embodies that in some ways, which is that all, you know all the characters in the book have a set of facts that they're working with. They're making decisions based on, you know, about people, about their own lives, about what they do. And um, and they believe in those facts. And the fact that they can be as wrong as they are in some cases um, is also, you know, I, 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 I find that true to life. I I, um, I, I I try to, if I've had like a, a bad experience with somebody or even just a bad impression from a distance either in my work world or in, in other areas uh, I, I try to remind myself that I have no idea what I'm what I'm talking about like what you know that I don't I don't know anything um, there's that you know sort of famous phrase which is like be kind to everyone you meet um, because each of us is fighting a great battle and um, and we just don't know what everybody's dealing with we don't know what their battle is we don't know where they came from we don't know anything and um, but we do make decisions based on our impressions of people and um, and I think that has caused uh, a lot of us and this country a lot of problems and will continue to um, so so the book is in, in many ways a reminder that whatever you think you know about somebody you you probably don't know it
0: One of the things that you do structurally is that you, you put the dialogue in italics and you realize, I think when I was looking through the book that there wasn't that much dialogue because it was really (laughs) noticeable, but to me that the way it was enmeshed in the paragraph, it, it didn't break the fictive dream for me.
1: Well, good. That's the reason. I mean, I, I I I find, especially, you know, these are also characters remembering scenes a lot of the time. You know, if you're in somebody's consciousness, we may go back in time. Um, And so, you know, what they're remembering of what's said and what's seen is also suspect, right? Because it's memory. And so dialogue especially, I think, is... Um, I mean, if anybody's ever been in a relationship, they know exactly what I'm talking about when, you know, over dinner you're arguing out like, I said this, I didn't say that, I said this, I didn't say that. And just, and, 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 you know, asking a couple to remember a, a conversation that led to a fight like in the same way is impossible. They never do. And, um, and so, so I, so, so italics are also a way of, little signaling that it's um this is something that's that's made from memory um and i also like I, I i'm kind of much more interested in the context of dialogue as opposed to the dialogue itself um and i think if i wrote books that like lived much more in and 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 i will try to at some point because it's also because i haven't is kind of um, intimidates me is to write sort of in scene in present like a narrative that unfolds you know uh, in that kind of linear way where dialogue is much more necessary to 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 propel the story um but in 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 this case this is so much about um, you know navigating memory and, and 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 so to to have remembered, scenes that are largely dialogue driven feel faulty to me they i think like and i've i've done it and i've i've written out many of the full exchanges that then get collapsed into one or two lines in the book and those full exchanges just don't they just don't ring true um to me and so um and also i you know so i haven't written a lot of dialogue and um uh, and so when i come across it in my work like or you know in my sort of reading for pleasure it's like a superpower somebody who's really capable of conveying character um and plot and momentum and all sorts of other things in um in dialogue it's it's a superpower it's like it's I I, there are people who can do that really well and um i respect them them greatly and it's it's not something that i've 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 leaned on um it interests me less. So I think it's also sort of like I, I don't I don't drift toward that, but um but lately I've been um trying to venture into that a little bit more and um seeing the possibilities for, for dialogue.
0: I just have one more question. It's about one of my favorite just writing lines in the book. And it's about Hap. And he is the young man who was adopted as a child and is related loosely in terms of the connections in the book to Dana's aunt. And he has this father that he sees only once a year. But you write, is there anything more galling than the sight of a young man, more revolting than all that possibility, possessed by a creature so completely ignorant of it? I loved that. Mm. I loved that. And it it was, to me, it was also just about age, because you're writing about so many people who are more the sunset of their life. And it reminded me a little bit of, of when you're young, how you don't know what you have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, so I just turned 50 on Sunday. So um, I'm speaking from the front lines of of this very feeling. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, also, just what we were talking about before, in terms of you know, learning at the speed of pain, and the and and you know the wisdom that comes from from um, difficult consequences. Like we spend a long time in our life, like learning things through experience, and that can be painful. And and so you get to a later age, like the age of the women in the book, in their late sixties. They've learned a lot, and yet m- much possibility is is no longer available to them. And you know, at the at the very core of it, there's even an essential friendship, an essential relationship that is no longer available to certain ca- certain characters in the book. Um, and and so it's like it's like having that wisdom and having all that hard won um, knowledge. And um, as you kind of you know drift into a, a period of life where your mobility becomes compromised, your choices are limited. Um, your ability to make money, your ability to create, like even your ability to navigate your own consciousness, in the case of um, Dana, faculties in her case are beginning to deteriorate. and and so there's there's something so awful about that. Um, and I'm not saying that that getting older and 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 reaching these ages is all awful. It's not. but um, but I think in that respect, in and when sort of witnessing somebody at the beginning, one can't help but think of themselves at the beginning and um, all that they didn't know. And um, and so and and also think in a way like the not knowing is also a gift and a luxury. So, you know, uh, i have a, I have an ex who just um who decided on my fiftieth birthday to send me all these pictures from when we were together when I was twenty and twenty one. I hadn't I have very few pictures from that time and of myself, and I just was looking at them and just really recognizing just how much I thought I knew at the time, how worldly I thought I was, uh, and and just how I didn't have a clue. and um and so there's on the surface of it, when you see, you know, you see the sort of the, the youth and, and, and beauty and all that, that, like, one doesn't have this access to in the same way that they used to. Um, But I think it's bigger than that. It's like, it's just, it's realizing that, like, that person, you know, your younger self has nothing, you know, but time ahead of them. And, uh, and as you get older, like there's just less time left. No, how, no matter how wonderful your 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 older ages may be, there's just less time. There's a limitless horizon that suddenly has a shore, and and seeing it in someone else is galling, and like, and um, it can be. And uh, so I, I I've 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 had those experiences lately, um, but I'm also. It, you know, grateful not to have to live through all of that again. Like, I, I, I did it once, and, um, and some of it was tough. And so um, I'm, I'm glad to be sort of where I am. But, um, but there are those moments, like, has in that scene where he sees this kid and, you know, just um, uh, kind of rages at, at, uh, at the uh, unfairness of it all. <laughs>
0: Can you read a passage from an author that speaks to you or influences you as a writer?
1: W.S. Merwin is always what I come back to. And um, also the poems of Merwin's have such big stories kind of suggested in them. And I think in a way, like they're like those, to be able to create that sense of like a life lived with all of its ups and downs and, and the epic quality of even the most um ordinary looking life like I, there's something about what merwin's able to capture in, in some of his poems that i think uh subliminally have informed a lot of like sort of what i've written um and there's one of his poems that i i go back to probably the most which is called vixen comet of stillness princess of what is over high note held without trembling without voice without sound Aura of complete darkness, keeper of the kept secrets, of the destroyed stories, the escaped dreams, the sentences never caught in words. Warden of where the river went, touch of its surface, sibyl of the extinguished window, onto the hidden place and the other time. At the foot of the wall, by the road, patient without waiting, in the full moonlight of autumn, at the hour when I was born, you no longer go out like a flame at the sight of me. You are still warmer than the moonlight gleaming on you. Even now you are unharmed, even now perfect, as you have always been. Now, when your light paws are running on the breathless night on the bridge with one end, I remember you. When I have heard you, the soles of my feet have made answer. When I have seen you, I have waked and slipped from the calendars, from the creeds of difference and the contradictions that were my life and all the crumbling fabrications as long as it lasted until something that we were had ended. When you are no longer anything, let me catch sight of you again going over the wall and before the garden is extinct and the woods are figures guttering on a screen. Let my words find their own places in the silence after the animals.
0: Is there anything else you want to say about
1: it? Oh, I mean, there's... One could talk for a a lifetime about that (laughs) poem. I mean, there's an unknown narrative you know i think implied in in the entire poem that 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 is epic to the narrator and and um and it's and a lot a lot of it is in is embodied in this image of a vixen or a fox who um represents a time represents a place and, and and things and um and and just that sense of something like a totem, like a victim, like holding an entire narrative um, and and I, I there's just something about that that I, I love and just the the cadence of it and um you know, his language is incredible. so I just there's it's yeah, there it there's there's endless pleasures in in this and many other of his poems um. And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I, I recommend Merwin and recommend Vixen and and you know anything else. This I, this is actually like the title poem of a collection of of his that was published in the '90s. That um, refers to uh, his house in the Dordogne in France, um, uh, where he would spend parts of the year for many many years, and um, and so. And, and just this image of the of the fox, like being um, kind of an emblem of all the the time there that that's over and kind of hidden from view, but um, but very much alive for him.
0: Can you read something you wrote? Maybe it was tricky or hard or changed a lot from the first draft.
1: They give away nothing in terms of plot. <laughs> so these are the last lines of um, the end of the day, and. There were the the four lines at the very, the, the very last four words rather um, of the last sentence. I, it wasn't, it was somewhere three, like maybe three quarters of the way through the writing of the book. Those words came and I, I wanted them to end the book and um, I had a sense of maybe sort of what would precede them, but um, I wasn't sure, and so I like m- many different paragraphs preceded the four words before <laughs> they actually hit. So I, and and then I landed on on these, um, and so uh, and and there, somehow that that happens sometimes with me is that there'll be like something very specific, a phrase or an image or something that like I have to figure out how I can get there in the writing. Um, either in the exact sentences or in the plot. And, um, and so those are some of, the, some of the things that vex, but also are kind of fun puzzles to, to, to figure through in, in the writing. So it's, a, it's just a short paragraph that ends the book. The river widens, the ship surges forward. Soon there is only open ocean, limitless and welcoming. Waves curl and collapse on all sides, spraying her clothes, tickling her skin. She is a girl again squinting into the wind and water and someone is behind her and someone is beside her. And that's, and that's, it was those words. Someone is beside her that I knew I wanted and, um, a number of different ways to, to get there and then landed on that.
0: Did you have to go to Kauai to write it?
1: I had gone to Kauai. Um, I wish I could have justified another trip to go there. <laughs> um, and uh, but no, I I, I spent uh, a good um, chunk of time there, at, uh, and and it had a big impression on me, and um, and and it was where I I wanted to to put Lupita. Um, very soon after, it was it was where, uh, and then I lived in Kauai online for a long time, and just kind of. Uh, with Google uh, Maps and uh, which you can you can plug in addresses and see things and click up and down and around it, I I, were, I feel like I went there so many times in the years of writing this book, but I never went back. And at a certain point, I felt like there was a fictional landscape of uh, Hanalei Bay and and Lahui and the area where she lived that um, that was that had been built and that, and I was satisfied for the most part with, (laughs) and I felt like going back there might upend it and, uh, dismantle what, what, what I had created for her.
0: Where do you write?
1: There's a, um, we have a house in, um, in Rhinebeck, New York, which we come to on the weekends, but have lived in full time since March in the pandemic. Um, and so, uh, I come up here for long, like a long weekend, or sometimes for a week, and um, just kind of pull up the drawbridge. Uh, there may be like weeks and months between those periods of time that I get to write, just because my day job is demanding. Yeah. But um, but I also have a lot of faith in the unconscious. So if there's three or four months that exist between sort of writing jags for me, I, I I'm still always thinking about somewhere, I'm, the, the, you know, I'm grappling with whatever I'm writing with. And, um, but I think, you know, probably my most effective grappling happens sort of in the unconscious, and, and, um because when I end up getting to, to write, when I sit down, I tend to know a lot more than I think I do um, or things that were completely impossible for me to, to figure out or um, aspects of, Something I was working on at kind of out of my grip before suddenly will um come into view and be um be easy or um yeah i'll ill I'll, I'll have authority over a character or uh, an insight that was completely unavailable to me before so um so I think yeah that that sort of that that pace of kind of deep engagement and then um and then moving on to other things and letting the book kind of simmer uh, but before I get to write again has worked for me. Um, and uh, And so now that it's how I've done it for a number of years, it's'm I'm, I'm loath to 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 change that. So and luckily, I, I have a job that I love and um, and keeps that pace intact.
0: What do you do or where do you go to get away from writing?
1: I just go back to my life <laughs> okay. my my job my family we have a six year old we um and uh so there's there's nothing like my 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 the 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 day to day demands of my regular life um, to to pull me as far away from writing as possible uh, so but it, but I'm grateful for that because again I think there's there's something there's some kind of weird magic that happens while I'm doing other things with uh with whatever the project is that I'm working on
0: who do you show your work to first to get feedback
1: I you know I think it's changed like with books from book to book I read some of it out loud to my husband um which he suffers through and usually it's like passages that he doesn't know what the plot is he doesn't know what I'm reading but somehow I just have to get it out of my head and off the page. Um, and my editor, uh, Wendy Sheenan. with this book, I, I showed um, pages to uh, before before anybody else. Um, and then later, as drafts came in, I shared them you know, with various people to get feedback. and, um, and I have a couple of friends who've read sort of everything I've uh, written, usually at like a full draft stage and um i and i believe in that i think i think once you've taken it as far as you can getting um an outside eye in this case with wendy she was really helpful because there's there was you know so many timelines that had to align and um she would point out the impossibilities of some of my choices (laughs) like very bluntly so uh So in this, for this book, it was Wendy Sheeman, who's my editor, who's great.
0: How have you dealt with rejection?
1: (sighs) Well, I had a lot of practice with my writers, just, um, you know, when I, when I work with a writer as an agent and it's time to send their work out, um, I'm in the beginning, you know, I, I, I suffered hundreds of of seemingly insurvivable um rejections when editors and publishers wouldn't understand their work or didn't want to publish it and and i had i was not i hadn't written any written anything back then so probably I identified too strongly and took those hits too hard but I took them and um and watched them uh you know, pick themselves up from that and and go on to, in some cases, great glory. And so I think um, having gone through that experience alongside so many of my writers, I I can put whatever um, disappointment or rejection I have with my own sort of in that context.
0: And what is your favorite word?
1: Um, My favorite word... (laughs) <laughs> well, my favorite phrase for a long time was it's canceled uh um just because I always just want to be at home <laughs> or upstate uh so in new York life can get busy but now uh, now that everything's been cancelled because of the pandemic I take it back I take it all back um i I don't want to hear those words anymore but one word I don't know i i i uh, I, I don't i don't know that's a good I'll have to think about that. But for a long time, it's canceled was my favorite phrase.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm, I'm really grateful. And thank you for for um, bringing such another beautiful book for me to read.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks for such a close read. Um, I, I really appreciate that and, and the good questions. Thanks for having me on.
0: You've been listening to First Draft, a dialogue on writing. My guest was Bill Clegg, author of the novel The End of the Day. If you liked today's show, check out my first interview with Bill Clegg on his novel, Did You Ever Have a Family? You can find that interview and the entire First Draft archive at firstdraftwriters.com. You can stay tuned to First Draft on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just look for First Draft, A-D-O-W. You can email me at firstdraftwriters at gmail.com anytime. Remember, there are plenty of extras for becoming a member and donating to First Draft, including access to pitch-free, ad-free content, as well as cuts from the interviews that didn't make it into the final show, writing tips for my guests, books, and more. I can't tell you enough how much each and every single dollar counts to keeping this show alive. The first tier of support is just $6 a month, so please go to patreon.com slash firstdraftwriters. Coming up in the next few months on First Draft interviews with Susan Minot and Jonathan Lethem. I want to send a huge thank you out to my patrons for making this interview happen. Your support makes First Draft a dialogue on writing a reality every week. Please stay healthy and safe. The theme music for First Draft was produced and performed by Murph Mahaffey. I'm your host and producer, Mitzi Rapkin. Thank you for listening.